You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. Good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome. In this uh, challenging and rather troubling and uncertain world, we at the moment seem to disagree on many, many things. We disagree on climate change, globalization, migration, trade liberalization. All of these are out there and there's discord. But there is one thing that we do agree on. It's a very important and vital thing. I think we all agree that we are witnessing the making of an African century. Africa has climbed up the uh, global agenda, G7, G20 here in Europe, and of course in Africa as well, high up on the agenda. What happens in Africa is crucial not only to the people who live there, especially the young people who live there, many today, many more tomorrow, but it's also important to the rest of the world. Africa matters to Europe, and Europe matters to Africa. Uh, the prosperity and stability of the two continents are interdependent and interlinked. What happens there really concerns us, and it's not just the migration issue. It's many, many things. Africa is, of course, as we all know, home to multiple realities, and we will observe them and discuss them today. Building this African century will require and requires hard work and determination, good governance and peace, jobs and growth. It also requires funds and, and partnerships. So in this conference this afternoon, we'll be looking at many facets of this African century. Our first panel is about opportunities and challenges and the challenge really of uh, reconciling the urban and the rural the divide, but also the nexus between the urban and the rural. Our second panel will focus on fragile and conflict situations on the continent and see how the private sector can be engaged despite the fragility of these states. So before we begin, let's look at some facts and figures very, very shortly, very briefly. So the fastest rate of urbanization in the world uh, is in sub-Saharan Africa at the moment. More than half of Africans are expected to live in cities by 2050. But African cities are crowded, disconnected, and costly, so how can we change this? And even as we focus on the urban uh, situation, agriculture remains vital for Africa's current situation and the future. So how can we make sure that productivity is increased and uh, that we get what we really need in Africa? So to join, to talk about these things with me, Africa's transformation, Africa's agriculture, the urban situation, we have a panel of fantastic policymakers, but also practitioners. It's a big panel, it's a very interesting panel, and very, very diverse uh, points of view. Uh, Margaret Agama Anyeti, welcome, Head of Division for Health, Nutrition and Population at the African Union Commission. Thank you very much for being here. Mr. Kanayo Nawanze, former president of the International Fund for Agricultural Development, IFAD. Thank you very much for being here as well. And I think you have some very important points to make at this conference. Hiroshi Hiraoka-san, Senior Advisor for Food and Nutrition at JICA, the Japan International Cooperation Agency. Flew in from Tokyo this morning, or just now, yesterday. yesterday. You are lucky. Thank you very much for being here. 
Mr. Vimal Shah, Chairman of Bitco Africa, which is the largest manufacturer of edible oils in East and Central Africa. Thank you very much for being here as well, Mr. Shah. It's a pleasure to have you. Diedrich Zambon, someone who's participated in our conferences often, uh, Head of Division for the Public Sector in Africa at the European Investment Bank. Celestine Ketcher-Cortez, President of the Network for Locally Elected Women of Africa and Mayor of Bangangte in Cameroon. Wonderful to have you here as well. And last but not least, Caroline Kawira, food security expert at the African Caribbean Pacific Young Professionals Network. A very important network and a very influential one, if I could say so. So the rules of the game are, are very, very simple. Um, I've introduced them. And I'm going to give a floor to each one of them, ask questions. But as I do so, I really want all of you to put your thinking caps on as well and actually to have questions for them because, as always at Friends of Europe, we want this to be an interactive discussion. Um, so I'm going to kick off with a question to you, Mr. Nwanza. Uh, so this nexus, urban-rural nexus, are African governments, our donor agency, partner countries paying enough attention to try and reconcile what we think is quite an important gap between what's happening, the, the, the attention being given to the urban and the lack of attention, perhaps, to the rural communities. Five minutes. Well, thank you very much, Shadow, uh, for this opportunity. Um, very quickly, I think, first of all, I want to um, dispel this perception of... Uh, rapid urbanization in Africa. In actual fact, what we are seeing is massive explosion and bulging of urban slums. Not cities are not expanding as such. Um, unfortunately, the emphasis that is given to urban areas at the expense of the rural areas is one of Africa's major detriment. There's a nexus between the urban and the rural space. It's not either one or the other. Investments in the rural areas, particularly in agriculture, which is the main store of the populations, not only feed people by producing food, it creates jobs, employment, it generates wealth. It results in a more cohesive rural population. And what happens is that when young people have equal opportunities to invest in their own small businesses in rural areas, they do not migrate to urban areas. The migration that you have seen in the last few years, couple of years, the massive migration into Europe from Africa and elsewhere, it's not made up of people fleeing from war and conflict as, as such from West Africa. You see economic migrants, desperate, frustrated young people fleeing from the lack of opportunity. It will continue as long as we neglect investment in the rural space. Governments, to answer your question very bluntly, are governments paying enough attention to it? No, because they have a totally distorted view of what the problem is. Lack of investment in the rural space is at our own peril. 
And Africa should stop being dependent on external aid. No nation, no continent in the world is as rich as Africa. The total volume of funds that exit the continent, both in terms of investments that are made in the country from outside, in terms of profits, in terms of illegal outflow of funds, etc., etc., is at least one and a half, if not even two times more than funds that enter into the country. Essentially, Europe, Asia, parts of North America, make money out of Africa. I think it's about time for our leaders to stop just talking. We know what to do. We know what the problems are. We know how to do them. What we need is action. And at the bottom of this, we need leaders, political leaders, dedicated political leaders, who are there to serve the people, not to exploit them. I think our biggest challenge in Africa is having the right, politically motivated, but also dedicated to the welfare of the people that, they, that, they, that they're supposed to lead to move Africa onto the global stage and take its responsible position in the global agenda. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. Nwanze, I do want to follow up a little bit. So you're basically, um, basically uh, putting the finger on the issue of good governance. Um, just a little bit of insight on where you think Africa stands at the moment on the issue of good governance. Because if we are to have an African century, uh, what will be required of the leaders? I mean, you have visions, you have Agenda 2063. You say you have to walk the talk. Yeah, frankly speaking, I think we have, like I said, we know what to do. I mean, conferences like this and elsewhere, I've attended enough of them in my lifetime. Conferences never solve problems. Workshops and meetings end up with nothing but declarations, statements, and commitments, not action. I'd be as blunt as to, as to say that, because I have attended too many of them. But I do believe, honestly, that governance for Africa is key. No matter how much you invest into Africa's development, with poor governance and corruption at the root of every activity from the bottom to the top, or rather from the top to the bottom, we will not get out of it. Rule of law. Transparency, accountability on both sides, the recipient and the donor, as some people like to describe themselves. The problem is it's very clear. I tell you, our younger generation, not my children, perhaps my grandchildren, are not going to stick with it. There is no justification for a continent like Africa that in the 60s, not one African country was a net importer of food. African countries provided food and resources to Korea after the Korean War. Nigeria, Ghana, Ethiopia, 
Soldiers were there, and money was sent. Today we received aid from South Korea. China, at the same time, was going through a famine. A million Chinese died in the late 70s from famine. Brazil was dependent on food aid 35 to 40 years ago. Not one African country was dependent on aid. Brazil, China, Korea provide aid to Africa today. What went wrong? Right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that challenge. And I think it puts our panelists on alert to try and bring that issue into it as well. And, and to tell you the truth, Mr. Duanze, we're really grateful that you made it to this conference. And I hope you will find it very useful. Um, turn now to Margaret. Margaret, from the African Union Commission, uh, a lot of focus on agriculture and also on the urban uh, challenges. Would you like to come in and tell us a little bit about how the, it's, it's on, uh, how the African Union is tackling this, uh, this divide and the nexus. Uh, thank you very much, and it's, I'm happy to be here. The African Commi uh, Union Commission is very interested in many of the issues that have Could you hold the been... microphone closer? Thank the you. The African Union Commission is very interested in the number of issues that have already been raised, particularly in the area of agriculture and nutrition. In 2014, the heads of state and government, uh, under the Malabu Declaration, another declaration, agreed to the Comprehensive Africa Agriculture uh, Development Policy for Africa. And that has specific guidance for, it, for our member states as to what to do in the area of agriculture. Now, I won't go too deeply in that because that's not really my key portfolio. But having said that, it also gave endorsed what we also know as the nutrition policy and, and a specific initiative to reduce stunting and malnutrition across the continent. Uh, out of that was born a nutrition uh, champion for the continent um, one of the heads of state, and in, in particular the heads of state of Lesotho. But coming around and trying to link this with urbanization and rural um, societies and populations, whatever we are going to do in the area of agriculture and nutrition is more dependent on rural societies than it is on urban societies. However, we do know that rural societies where food is produced, it's heavily female dependent, it's not mechanized, they are very dependent on what we call the, on the whole. Most young people have left and migrated to the urban societies and therefore my innovation which should go into the area of agriculture would also have migrated to the urban societies. Um, um, many of, of, of these areas, are, they have poor access to markets also for the food that they produce. This means that as heavy and, um, as he said, they are not even urban populations but slums, which in themselves are not organized. They are not, the, the numbers there are not known. High density, unplanned for. Whatever is coming out from the rural communities is not even meeting the needs of the slums, what more, the so-called urban societies. So we have a problem there. And I guess um, 
this is what we are also here to discuss this afternoon, and I'll, I'll stop here for now. But what about the solutions, Margaret? I mean, we've, uh, you've pinpointed the challenges, as has Mr. Nwanza, but things are moving, right? We're not standing still. Developments are taking place, technology is coming in, uh, the, the landscape is changing. So what, what, what positive encouragements are you giving uh, to the different members of the AU on, on these issues of food security, productivity, livelihoods? The Commission is as strong as its member states to start with. But um, I, I would think that one of the solutions is to increase private sector engagement and to get the private sector to support governments in getting the young people to stay in or go back to the rural communities. Young people are leaving the, 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 the rural communities for a reason. And it's with them that innovation, strength, and hard work lies. Now, if you, if you look at all that's happening in, on social media, uh, on the internet, it's more attractive to leave the rural community where there is nothing and go to the so-called urban community. And you find that pr uh, private sector is still inward looking. And I, I, I say that with some sort of apology, but it, it, it's not really, they are not to a very large extent engaging with and supporting government, I think they could do much, much, much more. They could also do much more in working with governments to set educational policies. Because what happens with private sector is that they wait until the, uh, the, the young people come out of school and then employ those that they think are suitable. But they are not actually engaged in setting curriculum for young people to ensure that a, they are skilled for purpose and particularly skilled for purpose for a nation's development in particular. Mm -hmm. So, that, yeah, we'll stop there for now. No, thank you very much. So make it more attractive to stay in rural areas. I think one of the challenges really is to make agriculture attractive again and to make agripreneurship more of a lucrative profession, I guess. Let's, let's go to Hiroshi-san and see what JICA, who, which has been involved in Africa for many, many years, how you see the view, and do you see sort of change coming in, or are you as perhaps as pessimistic as, uh, as Mr. Nwanza was? Uh, thank you very much, Shada, for your introduction, and a very good afternoon. Uh, my answer to that, yes, uh, Africa is really changing, and it is very positive. But of course, at the same time, we have a long way to go. That's, that's, for, that's a fact we have to admit. And, uh, and thank you for including the face of Asia in the forum, of, forum in Europe, working on Africa. And I'm very happy to be a part of it. And our contribution for JICA, uh, it's very humble because we are newcomer in the African development. And uh, we, are, we are very focused on three things. And it is rice and uh, empowerment of the smallholders and nutrition. And first, let me start with rice, but I have to be very humble because I'm speaking on this matter in front of the person who was the uh, Director General of Africa, West Africa Rice Development Agency Association, Dr. Nuanze. Okay, let me start with one figure, $4 billion per year. This is the amount of money which Africa is paying for importation of rice. And we Japanese sincerely wish that this money is saved, not alluding to outside, stay inside and make the benefit for the rural people. This is, one, this is the way in which we want 
to close the gap between the, the rural and urban area. If you talk about rice, it's urban people eating a lot. And then, uh, I mean, uh, in spite of the fact that there are very big opportunity and, uh, and potential in the rural area, it's not well tapped. And having seen this, uh, the Japanese government started to uh, raise, start the initiative called Coalition for African Rice Development. It is a policy dialogue of 23 African countries, uh, uh, 23 sub-Saharan African countries and, uh, on one side. And on the other hand, we have the coalition of the other development partners, including IFAD, World Bank, and Africa Rice Center. Uh, the many key uh, institutions are there. And we are, in short, we are guiding them. Uh, we are uh, not guiding, we have, to, we have to be humble. Uh, we are really assisting them to change their uh, paradigm from grow and sell to grow to sell, more market-oriented, see the other market, and then provide the, what the market is needed, quality, price, and also the aggregation is the key. So we are orienting their mindset, their policy dialogue to that direction so that the, uh, their strategy, we are, we are also uh, assisting them to produce their national rice development strategies, and then by doing that, we are assisting them to focus on these areas so that the African agriculture or rice production becomes more competitive against the, what is imported. And are you seeing results, uh, Hiroshi-san? Sure. Are you seeing uh, results? So far, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, and the result is very positive. And in 2008, we started uh, this uh, initiative, and uh, the goal was a doubling the rice production. We are on the right track, and we are going to achieve that next year. So it's a very good news. Uh, but still, uh, unfortunately, we have to admit that it is outstripped by the, the increased demand in Africa. So we have to continue this, and uh, we have decided to continue this uh, activity for 10 more years. So everybody who are interested is very uh, welcome to that. And then uh, I'd like to introduce another uh, work on JICA, which is more on the ground side, which we are more comfortable with because we are not used to talk about the other policy dialogue in Africa. And uh, we are more on the side of the ground, working with the farmers, working with the other smallholders. And this is uh, the aim of this program is to transform, grow again, grow and sell farmers into grow to sell agripreneurs. And uh, this initiative called SHEP, SHEP, Smallholder uh, Horticulture Empowerment and Promotion. And what is, I mean, it, it doesn't sound new, but what is very unique about the Japanese-ness of this approach, we go into the details which no one else can do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Focus on details and we, and two focuses. One, we really nurture the intrinsic motivation of the small scale holders at the beginning. That is almost a guarantee that they are focused on what they want to do, what they want to produce, and what they want to get from the extension agents. So we are very successful on that. And on top of that, we are shedding lights onto another important aspect of the other African, rice, uh, African agricultural value chain, confidence among the other stakeholders, especially between the producers, and the off-takers. So we are really spending time to focus on these two issues. And then uh, in the pilot project in Kenya 10 years ago, really made a very awesome impact, doubling the average income of four provinces of Kenya doubled. And then, yes, and then uh, the Kenyan government is very happy, and then now they are paying their own money 
to expand to the national level. And it was praised by the Japanese uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, and who uh, announced that it is a flagship approach of the Japanese government, so that now JICA is expanding at the regional level in, again, to 23 countries. And uh, if you're interested for more details, you have some publication like this outside, and you also have the CD-ROM games, so that, uh, and, and this CD-ROM game was uh, developed uh, for the farmers to play yeah. on the computer, and then okay. understand the, the, the rules of the market, so that they, they become a better agripreneur in the future. So this is what we are doing. I wanted to talk about the nutrition, but the time has run out. No, but there will, so be, maybe, there will be an opportunity sure. to do so. Uh, in, okay, anyway, thank you very much. During the next few sure. uh, minutes. Thank you. Thank you very much, Hiroshi. So changing mindsets, teaching new technology, focusing on productivity and smallholders. Uh, Mr. Vimal Shah, um, you got a comment there from Margaret, which was, I thought, rather interesting. Uh, she said that uh, our, uh, well, she emphasized the private sector's role in, in, in this uh, challenge, meeting this challenge, but also said the private sector is sometimes slightly inward looking. Um, what, is, what is your impression? You've, you head uh, a very important company that's working very hard uh, to develop agriculture, edible oil sector, etc. Let's, let's hear your point of view. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Shada. Um, good afternoon, everyone. I think. Inward looking, probably in terms of Africa. Um, yeah. It would be inward looking because we look at Africa as opportunity, right? And I think Africa has got serious opportunity. Every single challenge is an opportunity waiting for somebody to do something good about it. But I think globally, if we talk about what is happening in Africa, I think first and foremost, we've got to start off with saying, what is Africa? A lot of people go and mention Africa, Africa, and we have... Uh, the best and the worst being compared all together. So I think <clears throat> we've got to bring it home to say there's five RECs, five regional economic communities in Africa. One is North Africa, which is different. They don't even regard themselves as African, mm -hmm. um, with due respect to them. Um, the East Africans, the South African, Central Africa, and then West Africa. And you've got to put them into context and say, fine. When I'm talking about West Africa, I'm not talking about East Africa when I'm talking about North Africa, I'm not talking about South Africa. In this context, you can actually start and say, let's qualify them with East, West, South, North, whatever. Um, then you st start seeing where is the problem, what is the problem. And there are different routes. There's Francophone Africa, there's Anglophone Africa. There's a difference there too. And then, of course, Mozambique and Angola are, again, different so very languages. Diverse, very languages. diverse. Hmm. So when you look at this, let's talk about what it is. What is the role of private sector? And I think um, when we talk about whether it's agribusiness, whether it's rural-urban divide, we're predominantly rural still, very, very much so rural right now. In, in Kenya, for example, I have the statistics, it's 34% urbanization. What does that mean? That means you know, the rest of the people are still not urbanized. By 2030, we project 64% urbanization. That's not more than 14 more years to go. Why is that going to happen? The technology boom the IT boom, everybody, the yuppie culture, you know, everybody's now looking for a better life somewhere. So I think I agree with some comments to say that make rural more attractive. However, the biggest differentiator now that's coming in is internet and bandwidth. Again, through mobile commerce and mobile phones, that's a game changer for us in Africa. 
I think this is where information gets downloaded uh, to people, um, if it's, whether it's JICA or EU or whoever's helping in getting even agribusiness going through, you can actually have your how-to lessons coming down and, and, and downloaded. However, once they get the do-how and the know-how, I think the key issue is linkage to market. Mm-hmm. And I think this linkage to market is so important. Again, linkage to high-value markets. A traditional problem with Africa has been when it's season, we have a lot of harvests. Prices go down to less than you know, 10, 20% of, of the, sorry, less than 70, 70, 80% lower than what they normally are. When, there are, when there's abundance, we don't store. We don't have cold stores. We don't have the cold chain as in other countries. <clears throat> Excuse me. So our, our storage facilities are not, not there. Number two, I think when we do um, a proper system whereby we have the full linkage, example I'll give you is cotton. We used to be the biggest cotton exporters. And export cotton as cotton. Right now we're actually telling people export cotton as branded shirts. If you sell cotton, you're selling at 100. If you sell it as a shirt, it's 1,600%, 1,600% value added. Now, that value add would stay in Africa. That value add was never staying in Africa. It actually did help industrialize a lot of other countries in Asia or in, in, in Europe or wherever. If you have them branded, it changes the whole thing. Stop selling cocoa as cocoa and sell it as chocolate. Branded chocolate. Sorry, Belgian chocolates are... <clears throat> are brilliant, but... We use a lot of African cocoa. If the Belgian chocolates were made in Africa and made over there, the value add would be much, much higher. So that's another option. Same way, talk about any other product, you know, coffee, tea, all the rest. We've been exporting a lot of our raw materials. Um, the same way we talk about petroleum or whatever as raw. Why not refine it and send it across? We'd create jobs out there. We'd actually be able to manufacture products that are important. However, traditionally, our logistics has never kept up. Uh, I would talk about logistics with China, India, USA. Um, China has now got this one road, one belt system that they're going to bring in Mombasa into it as Africa, and they're going to make logistics cost much, much lower. However, for a container, a 20-foot container from Mombasa to USA, if you want to export that, it's $4,000 per container. If you want to export from China into Mombasa, it's $600 per container. So you can see that we will remain consumers for a long time because our logistically inbound, outbound is just not matching. So logistical things, uh, that's there. Full value chain, which means link the farmer to get a full benefit in the entire farm uh, system in terms of getting benefit right up to the finished product. So if the farmers were getting more for their cotton that they plant, but they're getting a, a piece of the, 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 the cake from the shirt, that'll be adding value to them. So the added value is going to be important, but linking them to it. We have a project ourselves, which uh, Dr. Mwanza here has been kind to, you know, finance as IFAD. It's complete value chain in oil palm. And really, the farmers benefited from this. It's done amazing stuff for the farmers. Where there was no inhabitants now, they've gone from urban to rural. People have been brought in from urban to rural there. So that's where I think important thing is, is, is get people more there. However, Investment in logistics, competitive logistics, and I underline the word competitiveness. We must enhance our competitiveness in Africa, otherwise we're not going to make it, number one. Which is by improving our productivity, productivity per, per person, per capita, per everything else. One more thing that is there is logistics, and of course, the, the third thing is that we must have a level playing field. I think, excuse my language, but the West must remove all subsidies to their farmers. 
all subsidies should not be there because then it does not create a level playing field. However, sitting here in Europe and arguing this case would be a politically incorrect thing for me to do. So I think it's important to say, fine, globally, all subsidies, if they go away, we'll have a level playing field. If you see what happened to the sugar industry, and sugar industry, Europe was a major exporter, now it's a major importer, and a lot of you know, expansions happening elsewhere in the world. Thank you. So in this respect, I think just to say that uh, when you talk about governance, can I? Sure. Uh, my time is just up. but uh, I No, can you can about... talk about governance. The governance issue is changing. We agree in the past it was not there. It was really bad, poor, I would say pathetic. Let's put it that way. Because a lot of our leaders, and I say all our leaders could hide away their money in Europe or somewhere, and really the banks prospered, with due respect to the bankers. Today, next uh, two years, I think this is going to change dramatically with CRS coming in and the OECD clamping down. None of our African leaders will have a hiding place anywhere in the world to sort of hide away that money. And therefore, I think we've got to make sure that things happen on the ground again. Number two. I think it's going to be important that people start looking at Africa as a big opportunity in Africa. And I'm not saying Europeans or, or Americans. I'm saying Africans themselves have to see the opportunity in Africa and seize it and make it happen. It's not going to happen by other people. And therefore, private sector in Africa really needs to ramp up, really needs to grow up and say, fine, let's do this. We also need PPPP, people, public, private partnerships. A lot of people have been talking about public-private partnerships. I'm talking about people-public-private partnerships. This makes it inclusive. So when we do a public-private partnership, the people are also included and they benefit from this. This is where the whole value chain and a lot more, mm. whether it's agriculture, whether it's IT. In fact, IT, we're leapfrogging a lot of the plastic money in Africa right. from zero to, to just to go back to mobile commerce. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a game changer. So I think when we look going forward, I'd like to look at forward looking rather than backward looking. Yep. I think there's serious opportunity coming. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that upbeat assessment and I think a very realistic assessment of where things are moving towards. Um, Celestine, uh, Madam Mayor, uh, Vimal talked about governance, and governance is not just at the national level. You're a mayor. National, uh, you need local authorities, local engagement as well. And I was wondering if you could give us uh, a little bit of your insights on what are mayors, what are the main priorities? We talked about, uh, Mr. Dwanze talked about uh, slum dwellers uh, and, you know, the challenge there. So what, are, what is someone like you doing to tackle these immense and very varied challenges. Merci beaucoup, Sacha. Avec uh, votre permission, je parlerai donc en, en, en français. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not It, sure that we have French translation for this one. We don't, okay. actually. Did you Who mind? speak French in, uh, in the room? <laughs> <laughs> so you are not so many. I will try to speak in English then. <laughs> My English is uh, it's not very good, but I will try to speak in English. So I was saying that uh, I'm very happy as the president of Female Mayor of Africa to be here today and share these ideas. And uh, uh, Mr. Wanze talked about uh, the bad image, the bad situation of, uh, of Africa. I would say that, of course, Africa is the second most uh, popular uh, uh, continent. More than 1.5 billion people in Africa, but the first poor continent. And as Mr. Shah said, I would say that this is an opportunity for me 
time is for Africa. Time is for Africa to be developed. Time is for Africa to be sustainably developed. Not only for Africans, but also for Europe and for the world. Because when there, where there is a poor, where there is a non-development, uh, the consequence is not only on the continent. We can see how many of our youths are getting in the water because they want to come and see better here in the, in the north. So I, I, I'm thinking that uh, the sustainable development goal will take uh, the first part in Africa. And this uh, Agenda 2063 and 2030 will be the agenda of Europe because uh, the two point of croissance, as they say, Europe will gain to work with Africa this time uh, on parity. Huh? Uh, uh, Equal partnership. Uh, yes, cooperation in terms of uh, equality, in terms of good governance, in terms of getting better in Africa for Africa, but also for, for Europe. And in this... Uh, 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 agenda, local authorities are the key factors. Local are the key factors because everything happened on the ground. Development came from the territory, from cities, and people who know exactly where population uh, in, in French they say uh, uh, local authorities are like doctors of population. Right. Uh, in my city I know exactly where to invest into sustainable energy, where to invest into water and sanitation, where to invest into education. That means uh, local authorities are the key factors for this sustainable development. Mm -hmm. And I will add by saying that in Africa, cooperation, transnational cooperation, are also the key factors because all the cities has, I would say, the same problems. So if uh, in my city I implement some actions for the climate change or some action for water and sanitation, I think that exchanging with another city in Africa will support the, the equitable development of, of Africa. And one of the important pillars also is uh, private sectors. Time is for Africa to be developed. Time is for private sectors to explore these high and bigger opportunities in Africa. You have uh, uh, private sectors, but you have the state. You have the state because uh, national, national level should now accept to go into decentralization. Mm. That means national uh, level should share uh, the, the, the position should share the role. And also, by my time is coming over, uh, I will say that it's very important in Africa to put the woman around the table. That means women in Africa, in the world, women are more than 50% of the population. But in Africa, women are 50, 52% of the population. That's why when I have uh, occasion, I'm calling for uh, all the partners to try to put as condition to 
get the governance, the good governance, to try to get on the table the woman, get the woman at the local level to make sure that the result will be there, to make sure that uh, the natural uh, activities or women can support the sustainable uh, development of our, our cities. Mm. That is uh, what I can say for now. Thank you very much. And I'm sure we'll have some questions about this network of women mayors that you're running. But let's wait uh, for the Q&A session. Uh, Didrik Zambon, so the European Investment Bank, you've heard what our speakers have said, many challenges, but also working for progress, development, growth and jobs. Uh, give us a little bit of your insights into where the growth and jobs are coming from. Well, thank you, first of all, for inviting us and in getting our opinions well a bit on this, on this part, which is, of course, always an opinion of a bank. So I look a bit on the financial, uh, from the financial point of view into these problems. And I must say um, the theme of putting urban towards agriculture, rural development, is a very interesting one. Um, we know, and you mentioned that as well in the introduction, that as from 2050... Uh, more than half of the population in Africa is, uh, will be living in, in urban development, in urban uh, environment. Um, and we know as well that the uh, growth of uh, city centers is quicker than the growth of the population in general in Africa. At the other side, when we go just over uh, what the st economic structure of the various countries is, uh, 60 to 80 percent of the countries still employ, uh, are still, of the people in the countries are still employed in agriculture sector. Mm -hmm. And that is enormous. Um, and very often that reflects only about 30, 35 percent of uh, uh, gross national product. Um, what is to be done, because we, we, we said and we uh, came to the conclusion that slums are still, unfortunately, uh, increasing with the growth of the cities. Um, so far, agricultural development is not extremely popular, although it is still a subsistence and very important for the countries, as I mentioned. But what we have to get clear is employment, and employment, uh, especially for the youth, which is as well a special challenge for uh, all the countries, with a very, very young population in general in Africa, the young people have to understand that agriculture is cool, or to say differently, agriculture is hot. <laughs> it is something which brings the future. Um, um, it is something where you can do business, because agriculture is business if it's well developed. And I think if this message comes across, we have to automatic link to uh, urban development as well. The responsibility to make this movement going is something, first of all, for the private sector. The private sector has to invest, has to develop. But second of all, uh, it comes back to governance. It comes back to uh, the public sector. Public sector uh, on a regional or, or, or very local level, as Celestine mentioned, but as well on national level. And what type of responsibility is there from the, from the state? Um, and from the, the, the public authorities, there's a, public, there's a responsibility on the field of education, there's a, uh, a responsibility on the field of digitalization, and in general of all enabling uh, uh, infrastructure, whether that will be uh, water and sanitation, whether that is 
transport because uh, any producer without the good network of transport can't sell, can't trade. There should be, uh, uh, as well, the trade development and support. Organizations as ours, as JICA, as GIZ, we can help on that to deliver technical assistance, to deliver uh, financial support, and as well, where it comes to development of private sector, to go exactly and support exactly there, where there is perhaps a higher risk, but a higher output from a, a social and developmental uh, point of view. Um, I think you mentioned, uh, female, the question of the warehousing. Mm -hmm. Indeed, I can give you an example of where we went in the warehousing, um, which is a major issue uh, for smaller producers, smaller farmers. The smallholders, they come all together on the same market with the same uh, 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 product, so the prices are low. Without the small, uh, without warehousing, nothing can be regulated. So what we did is finance in Malawi uh, with private sector a system of warehousing where the farmers can put part of their uh, uh, produce and on the basis of certificates which are then issued, this farmer can go back to one of the local banks to uh, get some loans to invest in the new campaign, new cultural, um, uh, agricultural campaign. And on that basis, once one tries to uh, break the vicious circle uh, and get to a more developed way of uh, farming. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what you as well mentioned, Vimalo, uh, is, is the importance of uh, uh, mobile banking in that, which is typically a movement which came from East Africa, which yeah. is spreading all over in Africa, West Africa, Southern Africa. And it is so important as well for mobile banking, governments, uh, public authorities have a responsibility to enable that and to promote as well private sector to, to, to get into this type of movement. So I think I would leave it here but there's an enormous interaction between uh, public and private sector investments and developments. And I think it's only by putting everybody for all the responsibilities uh, uh, that one can continue to move. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Dietrich. So, Caroline, I didn't want to leave you last, but I do want you to comment on some of the points that have been made here. Uh, one of the issues I think uh, Dietrich has actually pointed out to is how do you make agriculture hot again, cool again, make it attractive. Um, and as a young woman uh, from the region, what do you think would actually incentivize younger people to stay in rural areas, get jobs there, rather than move to the cities where it's crowded and, and rather unhealthy? Thank you. So uh, you have uh, moved to one of my points, actually. So what will make young people stay in the rural areas is actually developing the rural areas. So we want to have uh, internet uh, in the rural areas. We want to have electricity. So if we don't have, then we are likely to move the urban areas. So anyone who is going to focus on that kind of development can now look into helping the rural areas. In Kenya, the, right now, they have something they are calling the last mile project. 
in which the government is trying to take electricity to the most rural of the rural areas. So we are here to evaluate uh, the success of that, but we think it will be a good step forward. Um, another way to make uh, agriculture trendy for the young people, as he said, is actually help the young people make money from it. And uh, one of the, um, so because I was looking into youth, uh, encouraging youth into agriculture, one of the areas is actually, I think will be very beneficial is uh, leveraging the group dynamic. So helping uh, young farmers to come together and uh, form groups. And through this, these groups, they can be able to market their product better. They can be able to bargain for a better price if they are supplying a, a bigger chain. And through this group also, you are able to give them more um, we are able to give them training more efficiently because you don't have to look for them everywhere and you just have to do one training and you reach many people. Then through this group dynamic as well, they will be able to use technology more because uh, it's hard for one person, one young person to buy a tractor. If they are in a group, they can contribute the little that they have and they buy a tractor and then they can even be leasing it within their area to other people for an affordable price and they can make it sustainable for themselves. Um, even when it comes to making agriculture smart, which is something that is uh, very beneficial right now, with a group, then they are able to become more smart. Another way, uh, another problem that the youth are facing is land. So if we can be able to come up with a way of helping them access land, then we will be able to help them be more interested in, agri in agriculture. Uh, it becomes worse for young women because uh, especially in our African settings, most young women are not given land, and if, whether married or unmarried. So if you don't have a means of production, you're not likely to go into production. Another way is uh, for organizations to give young people a chance to be involved in the decision-making when it pertains agriculture and the the way forward for the future, and not only decision-making, but also to give them platforms and opportunities to actually do the work. And that is something that African, Caribbean, and Pacific Young Professionals Network, which I work for, is doing. So I hope more organizations can join uh, that bad wagon. Um, another um, way we can look into is for organizations that work in agriculture, be it uh, big uh, corporates, the CGIRs, to actually give internships and start up jobs to young people. Uh, normally, it's very difficult for anybody to believe a young person, even when they have the right knowledge. Give them an opportunity, train them, and then they can move their agenda forward. And last but not least is to say that uh, something that um, uh, Vimal talked about, he said that we need to stop NATO. And with NATO, it's uh, um, no action, talk only. <laughs> so let's do something. <laughs> okay, so NATO is no action, talk only. Okay, thank you very much indeed. So we've heard from all our panelists very different points of view, but I think converging on some key issues, including uh, the question of governance, the importance of uh, private uh, public people partnerships, talking also about education and the, the, the dire need of making uh, agriculture, rural societies back on the agenda rather than just focusing on the urban areas. So may I uh, now have a, can I see a show of hands to see how many of you have questions uh, for, uh, for our panelists and uh, we have about half an hour or so to take these questions and if, uh, I have to say that I'm a very intrusive moderator, so if you don't put your hands up, I will actually then turn to some of you and force you to ask a 
the question. So no, uh, no encouragement needed here. The gentleman here in the front row, Raphael, are you bringing the... Uh, could you put your hand up again, sir? Yeah, thank you. Please identify yourself and keep your questions short and snappy. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Madam Chair. Uh, my name is Elliot, uh, MDC representative, the opposition uh, in Parliament in Zimbabwe. My, my question, I'm glad that we've got Margaret uh, Gama Anyate uh, from uh, the, the African Union uh, Commissioner. I do understand that the African Union did institute a research which was chaired by former president of uh, South Africa, Thabo Mbeki, which actually uh, reported that over 50 billion US dollars is illicitly being lost in Africa annually. So over 50 billion being lost in Africa through aid of financial externalization. So I would be very interested to know what is the plan of action by African Union going forward? The last one is about trade. 60 years after independence, why is it that Africa does not trust in trading amongst its own member states? Statistics show that the inter-trade in Africa is only 11%. So I would be Thank you. most interested to know the way forward on that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Two very pertinent questions. There was a hand that went up back there. Yes, please. Uh, could you, Rafa, can you keep your hand up? Because otherwise my colleague can't see you. The lady over there, yes, please. Yeah. Um, thank you. I'm Gladys. I'm from Kenya. My question is... Uh, to Vimal Shah. I wanted to find out, uh, we've been talking about um, making agriculture cool. However, I don't think every young person wants to be a farmer. How about um, introducing industries or um, some subsidiaries of industries in the rural area? I come from a small village called Kerugoya. Um, since I was born, it has never changed. It's the same, same look, same kind of businesses. Why can't we move industries to the rural areas and uh, then we can have the professionals from those areas working and therefore attracting uh, many young um, people, not only just changing them into farmers. Thank you. Thank you very much for that very good question. Uh, person over there, please keep your hand up. Yeah, please go ahead. Uh, my name is Opeo Kwiri. I'm the president of Rasmus Mundus Alumni Association. And my question is to actually all the panelists. Uh, throughout the discussion, I didn't uh, hear anything about improvement in education, especially in higher education, and especially in terms of mobility, because um, all the ideas, all the mindset changing. Uh, most of the times they happen in class, but m in reality, mo the most effective one happens in experience. And when people move around, uh, they're able to get something that maybe you might not put in money to, for them to benefit from it. So right. uh, that's, that's especially what I wanted to ask. Yeah, that's good. Thank you very much indeed. Gentlemen over here, can you keep your, if you, you have to put your hand up. Yeah. But not towards me, my colleagues are at the back. 
Hello, my name is Christoph Heuler. I work in private sector development, uh, consulting with Africa. I have two questions to the panel. Uh, I, I would confirm the same what the lady said about agriculture. Not everyone wants to work in the agriculture. In my home country, we have a say, with the, in the agriculture, you won't earn a lot of money, but with the agriculture. That means, as a farmer, I never will get a lot of money. That's, it's in the system. But with the, so everyone wants to work, want to earn money with the agriculture, but not uh, in the agriculture. Right. Next point is entrepreneurship. Everyone talks about entrepreneurship. That's a solution. But uh, look at Europe. We have in Europe, uh, usually, depending on the country, between three to six or seven percent of the population are entrepreneurs. So you cannot expect that Africa will know all Africa will get entrepreneurs. Right. Right. Thank you very much, a gentleman here, and then I'll come back. Oh, yeah, I see, I see hands. Yeah. yeah thank you very much. Um, we're Omama with the World Food Program. Um, last year, um, WFP provided direct food assistance to 43 million Africans. And this year, it looks like it will be a larger number. Our experience and analysis shows that there are both rural and urban people who were requiring assistance, um, finding themselves vulnerable and food insecure. And it's clear that the issue is resilience. Resilience at the community level, at the household level, but also more broadly. As, um, would the uh, panelists um, comment on that, on that agenda? Yeah, thank um, you. What are some of the, the options for that? Thanks. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to take all the hands and uh, take questions, but I really have to urge you to be very, very brief. Otherwise, we won't get an interaction. So I, I see a hand go up here. Yeah, Raphael, just the lady over here first. Yeah, very quickly, please. Yes, I'm really trying to be quick. I have a two-pronged question. Uh, one of the panelists actually said that even in, the, in our countries in Africa, uh, agriculture is really dependent on women to do the work. And these women work round the clock. I mean, they just don't have any time for a vacation. They don't have any time for a rest. And the whole plate, everybody is looking at them as if if they didn't do anything anymore, yeah. then there'll be no more food in the market. Mm -mm. So I, I think somebody has to do something to uh, be able to facilitate the means for them to do the work right. they are doing. Right. So they don't spend from 4 a.m. in the morning right. to 6 in the night the second point, just thank working. You. Second point, I don't see a connection between the universities and the research and the food in a cultural uh, right. aspect yep. so that uh, food that is produced in Africa should not only be uh, marketable for the outside world, but it should be right. really consumed by the people. And what we eat, let's even know the value right. of what we eat. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. I'm sorry I have to be a bit impatient, but we really want to go back to the uh, panelists. So I'll take two more quick questions. The gentleman, Raphael, yeah, there, please. Hello, I'm Alvito de Souza with uh, the Kenyan diaspora here. Um, I'm just wondering, my question is, Vimal raised a thing about people, people public, uh, private, private, and I really would like to know a little bit more what does people mean, because I go back to what Carolyn said about having young people and in the decision-making. Governance is only governance if they are accountable to the local people. So what is being done to empower the voice of local people locally? So where, uh, Vimal, what was that 
people that you're talking about. Yeah, thank you. And there's a gentleman who's got his hand up. We have a second session, so we'll... But please go ahead and ask your question. But we do have a second session, so there will be time then. Yeah, please. I would just... Um, I, uh, <clears throat> during the first session, I didn't hear about the diasporas yeah. and the role that they could play. And uh, another point is also that there is the African Union of the politics, but not the African Union of the people. And what could be done in that sense to promote Africans to know each other? Because that's not the case. And I think it will promote trade. It will promote some other things uh, to um, favorize growth. Thank you very much. Excellent questions, I think, uh, panelists. I will urge you to answer the ones that you think are most relevant to your expertise and your uh, information, your wisdom. So let me start with Vimal now. Uh, Vimal, there were some questions that I think you'd be very well-placed to answer. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that question, Gladys. I think the uh, issue around uh, agriculture and uh, making it cool, I totally agree that we need to make it cool. I rather call it make it sexy so that people actually say, it's not only agriculture, but it's agribusiness. Make agriculture into a business, which means if I am producing avocados in my Kerugoya home, I will then start saying, how do I process them? What are the uses of avocado? I can start processing the oil and bring it out and you know, sell it to the cosmetic industry. Further to that, I could start making the cosmetics and selling them to other people. This is what's needed right now, and this is what's required. However, a lot of us... Uh, in the farming area, leave it to some industrialist somewhere to start doing this or some foreign firm. So L'Oreal has started doing that in Kenya, right? And we expect them to, oh, they're the only ones who can do it. Why can't you do it? Why can't it can be a Gladys, you know, lipstick maker, whatever it is, and start making it there? The opportunity exists. The key question is, now that we talk about making agriculture into agribusiness, this is the opportunity. Grab it. And that's what we're talking to a lot of entrepreneurs right now who are doing startups to start doing this. And I think it's working quite well. If you see the amount of fruits that were going to waste, they convert that into fruit juices and then preserve them. There's a lot more happening there, including concentrates. Um, so I think industrializing rural areas, absolutely important. However, a lot of times our policies in governments in Africa have been different. There have been different policies for de for industrializing areas, not industrializing other areas. And this is where policymakers need to start saying, let's give some incentives for industrializing, industrializing rural areas. However, the good news is that bandwidth is available everywhere, mobile phones work everywhere. Mm -hmm. So therefore, really, you don't have to worry about that. So I think the key issue now is about logistics. Um, the other question that I probably want to ask on is, um, answer on is, is about this PPPP, you mm -hmm. talked about it. I think that's pretty relevant to me, so I'll talk about it. It's people-public-private partnership, whereby it's a public-private partnership between a company and a government. Let's say government provides land for agribusiness, right? And then you've got um, the company starting to do agri agriculture there. But you need people for that. So you actually in, 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 in engage with all the local people around that area and say, now I'll have, say, 5,000 hectares of outgrowers who are the people teach them, show them. IFAD has done such projects and we've done a very successful one with IFAD where the people were involved in it. And really the people started getting funding from IFAD and started doing it, started making it happen. So the people benefited from a public-private partnership. So inclusiveness is quite important. I think this is where you create jobs, you create entrepreneurs. Um, I think the same thing about entrepreneurship, somebody talked about it. If I could just answer that, necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> 
So if you look at Uganda, when it went through the Idi Amin era and all that stuff, every government servant became an entrepreneur. Because they had to do it. It was survival. They had to sell something and buy something from somebody, and therefore they become entrepreneurs. So I think a lot of times in Africa we see that we may actually have far more entrepreneurs than in Europe if we actually start giving the opportunities. However, a lot of the values in our African system are go get a government job. It pays well. It's got the status symbol. So a lot of people go for government jobs. They may not be paying high, but they go for that job because it's a status symbol having arrived there. So I think entrepreneurship now is becoming a big thing. However, for startups, for, for such things, we don't have funding. We don't have the do-how and the know-how. And that's where people like JICA or other people need to say, fine, how do we fund startups? Show them how to do a business plan, present it, make a pitch in three minutes, sell it to people. Then comes the advent of private equity, venture capital. They call it vulture capital sometimes. It's, it's all sort of capital coming out and making the match between capital and entrepreneurs. I think this is where Africa is serious opportunity right now for anybody looking at saying, we've got a lot of money in Europe, and if you've got to, if you've got to really invest it, there's a lot of startups looking for that. It's small money, but really the, 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 the benefits can be massive. Right. Thank so you. which brings me, when we talk about money, I go to the banker. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I agree that um, to, to, to follow up on, uh, on, on uh, what Fimmel said, on that not everybody is to be an entrepreneur, but nevertheless, this is, this is the basis, this is the core of every initiative. And that's what we see as well in, uh, uh, let's say, the European economy. It's nevertheless the private sector driving the show. And it is, at the end, the public sector serving the private sector, serving the interest of, of, the, of the, 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 the citoyen, of the, of the, the normal uh, person in the street. Um, perhaps on the lady who uh, mentioned that she didn't see the connection between university research and food, um, I would be counter, absolutely contradicting that position. What you see, uh, for instance, we mentioned the chocolate. Chocolate is the effect of many years of research, research and development. And this is very interesting, and I think as well when we go to agricultural development, um, this is business. This is business and makes it directly interesting for those who, who learn that at schools, at university, to apply that in reality. And I think everybody then on his own level can, can uh, take up what they learned and how to develop that further as a company or as not a company as, uh, in, 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 in different ways. Um, money is always uh, is important, but money follows good ideas. So there's normally sufficient money available, even for more risky ideas, if there is a good uh, idea and there are people who are convinced of a number of, of uh, developments, I'm sure, and I know that from uh, European Investment Bank anyway, we will follow these ideas because it's not us doing that. It is the initiator of, of ideas who is driving the show. We can only support it with knowledge, with experience, with money. But it is, at the end, it is the entrepreneur doing that, or the agripreneur, which I think is a fantastic word because this brings the level of agricultural uh, uh, a lot higher because it is business again. Thank you very much. Celestine, there were quite a few interesting questions for you as well. 
Yes, I will talk about education and diaspora. Uh, what I will say uh, on top of what you just say is that education is very, very important for the, to build a resilient and uh, inclusive growth of, uh, of Africa. I will start by the basic education. Basic education is very important to make it inclusive because in Africa, the education, sending children in school is matter of finance. And I will take a simple example. For example, when you go in a family who has uh, three, three children, when it's come to pay the, the scholarship of one children, because the parent has one for money for one, he will pay, they will pay. If they have two boys and one girl, they will first pay for the boy. And if after they have a need to pay for the second, they, they have two kids left, one girl and one, uh, one boy, they will also pay for the boy again because they, they think that uh, uh, the, girl, the girl should go to, to, to the marriage. And marriage is not a profession. <laughs> eh? Marriage is not a profession. And if we want to build an inclusive, we have to get a young girl going to school as well. And um, uh, university also should be open to girls because mainly in Africa, when you send girls to school, they talk about uh, secretary. They think that girls are ready to go to be secretary and they don't send them in the scientific uh, uh, school. So it's very, very important that uh, education, universities should support to, to build uh, the inclusive and uh, sustainable development of Africa. I will talk about the diaspora. In my city, actually, I'm working very, very much with people of diaspora because as they have lived here in, uh, in Europe, they know exactly what is good and what is not good. They have a, 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 a kind of governance, a kind of way to do. For example, here, when you go to the bank, you will line up. But in, in Africa, when I will go to the bank, I will just jump and pass. Do you know me? I'm the mayor. I will start before you. I will start before everyone. That is the behavior in Africa. And we think that diaspora has a very crucial role to do. One, coming back to Africa to support the development. When you go out for school, when you finish the school, you should come back. But if you come back, you will make sure that you find employment. And also, in terms of supporting the development and the cooperation development with the actors of development, is very, very important today for the people who support local authorities to use a diaspora association to to, to be the porter of the, of the need that come to Africa because you will be sure that they will do exactly as they, they face here in, in Europe. So I'm sure that uh, 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 the, the question was very important because diaspora has their part of responsibility and their part, their part of support to make it uh, happen in Africa. Thank you. We're going in, in a linear fashion, so Mr. Nwanze, please. Thank you very much. Um, very, very quickly, I just want to support the questions or the comments on um, the need for us to invest in the rural areas. 
uh, whether it's to do with uh, industrialization or the rest of it. But I think also we need to understand that um, governments can only do so much. Governments can never create jobs for every citizen of the country unless you want to be a civil servant. So government will never employ every citizen as a civil servant. But government has a responsibility, as was mentioned, to ensure that every citizen has access to energy, electricity, good infrastructure, social services, health clinics, banks, and so on and so forth. And for the farming community, of course, access to land. And that also uh, uh, addresses the, the, the problem with youth. Urban areas have a finite capacity, and that's what we have to understand. And unless we transform the rural areas so that they become attractive, it's not a question of us making farming attractive for young people. We also have to change our mindset. Because agriculture, as was said before, we said this at IFAD for the last dec one decade, it's a business. It's a money-making activity. And it's not just putting the seed in the soil. It is the whole value chain, as was mentioned, from planting all the way through transformation, storage, marketing, and you name it. It's a money-making business. And there are huge opportunities for young people. I want to address a series of questions by just saying something here. There is a lot of money in Africa. More money in Africa. There's a lot more money that leaves Africa every year than comes into Africa as investments, not as overseas development assistance. That is minuscule. So where is the money going to? Who is taking it out? Illicit financial outflows, mismanagement of tax, tax collection and distribution and management. So let's, 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 Africans have to change our mind. We have to manage our resources. We have more resources than any other continent in the world. I can tell you this. The statistics are there. So it's a question of how we organize ourselves. And the problems of Africa are not going to be solved here in Brussels or in Paris or in London or Washington. They can only be solved by Africans in Africa. If we don't start today, we will never make progress. I'm not a pessimist. I'm the ultimate optimist. But when you're as old as I am, you get frustrated. And that is where my problem lies. Thank you for those encouraging words, Mr. Nwanze, and, and your wisdom. Appreciate it very much. Margaret. Thank you very much. Um, I'll respond to a number of issues very quickly. First of all, I have already said that the African Union Commission is as strong as its member states, and it's also as strong as the people who belong to those member states. And it's a two-way relationship. So as much as the African Union Commission stands to represent each and every African, we also hope that the Africans will also get to know more about the commission and engage in it. Um, there was some talk about diaspora and remittances. There is an office sitting in, hosted by the government of Kenya, which is looking at the remittances that come into Africa from the diaspora. It is on record that most, um, a large volume of these re uh, remittances are driving many economies and particularly the, the, the small-scale economies across the continent. 
And one of the things they are trying to do is to make it easier and cheaper for these remittances to come back into the countries. And they are make, working with many of the banks and other financial institutions across the country. I had mentioned that there is a need for the private sector to be engaged in curriculum development mm. in educational institutions. And this is because the private sector is one of the largest employers. So don't wait until the individual graduates and then you say the person is unskilled for purpose. They should be working more closely with governments to set the curriculum agenda to ensure that the right skill for purpose is produced for, to, for, uh, from which they, they can employ, and that includes the area of agriculture. Uh, there was some mention about women and, uh, and the fact that they are the ones who are primarily in, in agriculture. The immediate past chair of the African Union Commission, in the name of Madame uh, Zuma of South Africa, actually started an initiative to send the whole to the museum. And uh, FAO has picked up on that and is supporting the African U Union Commission to mechanize agriculture. And it is expected that by 2025 and beyond, the whole would be in the museum and more of small-scale uh, agriculture across the continent will be mechanized. I'm happy a colleague from WFP talked about resilience and its link with agriculture. We have four countries across the continent, Sudan, Niger, Nigeria, and Somalia, where the nutritional needs, the malnutrition we see, the lack of access to agriculture is linked to instability and conflict. And the normal resilient mechanisms of the individuals which runs across seasons has been broken. They are, not, they are no longer resilient populations simply because they cannot maintain their way of life because of the conflict and stability. Right. Again, there's a major initiative going on to silence the guns across the continent by 2025. Africa does not need conflict and instability and anyone out there who is driving those conflicts and instability, which is mainly driven from outside of Africa, needs to support us to stop. I think you've covered most things, Margaret, yes? And the last two is um, we, have, we have school food programs initiatives which we intend to, which we are working on to ensure that it's driven by nutrition-sensitive agriculture, taking into account the cultural values of the people of those areas. And this is important because the first thousand days of life of any individual are the most important. If you miss getting the nutritional needs of babies and young children from conception to their second birthday right, then it's most likely that these people will use, lose their gray matter material and will have deficiencies which cannot drive uh, individual and national economies thereafter. And so this year for the African Union is the year of 
harnessing the demographic dividend of Africa by investing in youth from 2017 and beyond, in which we given focus to many of the issues that we've talked about here today, to health, to youth in employment, in, 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 term, in <laughs> entrepreneurship, and the governance and rights issues of young people, and that touches on many of the things we've talked about this afternoon. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you very much indeed, Margaret. Hiroshi-san, please. Thank you. Uh, I will just follow up on what our uh, previous speaker says, and I touch upon two things. One is the resilience. And agripreneurship, if you see the other industrialization of the agricultural sector, can itself be a good resilience measure because it, the definition of industrialization is uninterrupted supply of goods at certain prices uh, of, of, uh, of certain quality at a price which is affordable for the target consumers and without much fluctuation. So if you are able to do it, this is already a good contribution for the resilience of the African continent. And then the question is how we can do it in an African way. So this is the, the very big question that we have to ask ourselves. And second point is that uh, definition of the public goods. Yes, um, uh, Dr. Nuanze uh, talked about the, uh, the role of the government about the definition of the public goods, but we have to be very, uh, very careful about the, uh, the definition that, that the line of, uh, we, where we have to draw the line between the public goods and private goods, it really depends on the context, especially if you have the conflict situation in many parts of Africa, the area, the domain of the public goods becomes bigger, especially for the investment, uh, capital investment for the, the, the factory or uh, storage. So we have to keep that in mind. And thirdly, I really agree with the other importance of the diaspora, not only in terms of the other money flow, but more specifically in terms of the other giving more capital base for the African industry. Because what, what it's really lacking on this continent is you have huge potential, but in order, to, uh, in order to harness the potential, we need more capital. Yes, in the short term, I agree with that uh, it can be done by the, uh, by the, the external capital. But in the long run, that capital should come from the homegrown African ownership. So for that, the role of the, the, the diaspora is very, very important. That's my idea. Mm -hmm. And finally, uh, let me touch upon the, the number, of, uh, uh, number of entrepreneurs which is needed in the African continent. And this is quite different from the other parts of the world because Africa basically is, uh, Africa basically de depends much part of the GDP or G uh, gross national product, uh, product into Afri agriculture. That means, uh, and then on top of that, uh, we are now, uh, in terms of rice, we are seeing different types of operation, large scale operation, 100,000 tons per year, and then you have very small operation. Both sides have pros and cons. But, uh, but what is really uh, sure is that we need both. Definitely uh, the homegrown, small-scale, medium-scale operation of the homegrown people are really needed, at least in the short and medium term. For that, we have no choice but to have, have these people have good capacity of business skills and entrepreneurship. Thank you very much. Thank you. Caroline, please. Um, 
Okay, so being the last, most, almost everything has been uh, covered. But, but not uh, from your point of view, so. Yeah, but I will add uh, something small, and uh, I'll particularly address uh, the question about uh, women doing uh, much of the bulk of the work in agriculture. And I think uh, that they can leverage the group dynamics. In Kenya, we have something everybody knows called chama. Basically, it's a group, and mostly it's very successful among the women. Uh, they have used it for table banking, mostly, but they can extend this same dynamic to even buy machines to get themselves um, techni technologically aware. They, they can, and in those groups, because these women groups already exist, they can also be supported to buy maybe one or two equipment by many organizations represented here, and if they buy these two equipment, a group of women, maybe 20 women, a tractor, they have to farm with a tractor. Each one pays a certain amount so they have, can have a, a, a fee that a member of the group pays. And they can have a fee that if you live in the same locality, in the same uh, village, but you are not a member of the group, you pay. And that way they can become sustainable. So then they, with time they are able to buy equipment number three equipment number four, and in that way, uh, they don't all have to wait for the bigger organizations to mechanize us by that particular time. Another one is on the diaspora. Um, among other things uh, that have already been said, they can also uh, look into social entrepreneurship um, because uh, social entrepreneurship does not create dependency, but it helps. Uh, just forming uh, NGOs to give aid may not be the solution, but with social entrepreneurship as the diaspora, you're able to also make money, and these people are also able to, to be helped with you for the capital investment. Thank you. Thank you very much. So the crowdfunding side of things is quite, quite uh, interesting and innovative when it comes to uh, what you're talking about in Africa. Thank you very much indeed to our panelists and thank you also to all of you for your very pertinent questions. I think what we've done during this panel discussion with the help of all of you, the seven of you actually, is to look at the mega picture, the bigger picture uh, of governance, of financial flows, of uh, Africa's potential, but I also I think this is really remarkable. We've gone into the nuts and bolts of what needs to be done to improve things. We've talked about logistics, IT, uh, the warehouses, the the, the refrigeration needed, mobile banking, but also the problem or the challenge of creating more agripreneurs, the diaspora. And uh, I have to say that I th in all of this, I think there is really, really sound advice for your governments in Africa, but also for us as international partners for what we are doing in Africa. And I think for us, what is really important in these conferences is to hear your voice and to talk with you and to hear your opinions, how we need to work together in this very challenging uh, 21st century. So please join me in thanking our panelists. And uh, we are going to have a second session at 5.30, which is going to be taking this conversation further on investing in Africa's future. And the focus is very much on fragile and conflict-ridden states. So I look forward to seeing you back in about 20 minutes or so. Thank you. <laughs>